thanks for listening to this sermon from Cedar Springs Church. We know life is busy and it's easy to get caught up running in so many directions. At Cedar Springs, we see you and we're with you. We also understand the feeling inside of you for something deeper. In fact, we believe God created us for those deeper things and we want to help you discover them. We want to introduce you to a life lived deeply with God and with others. If you're not already, we invite you to visit us during one of our Sunday worship services. We are all working toward taking our next step to move into deeper faith and community. So come, take your next step with us. We don't want you to settle for life as normal because you were made to live deeply. Good morning, third service. My name is John Barber. I'm the director of adult ministries here at Cedar Springs, and I'm so happy to be up here this morning. Um, I'd like to start off this morning by saying thank you uh, so much for the incredibly warm welcome that our family has received over the last few months. We've only been here since March, and you have been so gracious and kind to us. I truly appreciate the ways that you've encouraged us. For instance, I think it's awesome that it's my first time preaching and I get a whole orchestra. Like, that's cool. I didn't know that was coming. But thank you. Thank you for how you've looked out for us and how you've prayed for us. And uh, in light of that, let's pray together. Father, this morning we come to you the same way we come every week. In all of your works, in all of your power, in all of your word. We ask you to be present among us this morning and we're expectant that you will do mighty things. We're reminded on mornings like these that we're here not because it's our routine or because it's expected of us, but we're here because you love us. And this place reminds us of your overwhelming love for us. Father, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight. O Lord, my strength and my redeemer. Amen. Well, we did it. We made it to the finish line. We've been in this series all summer studying the Apostles' Creed. And I have to say that Cedar Springs is blessed to have so many incredible Bible teachers. We've had so many people behind the pulpit this summer who are so good, so fantastic at communicating the truth of God's word. Unfortunately, none of them were available today, so you're stuck with me. (laughs) Now, this morning we're covering the end of the creed, the resurrection of the body. Now, quick note. I'm going to keep this as family-friendly as possible, but we will be talking a little bit about some things like death and burial. Parents, you might have to have some interesting conversations on the ride home today, and I apologize, but we got to talk about it. If you have any complaints, please feel free to email me, andrewkeesling at cspc.net. Um, a couple of weeks ago, I was in one of my favorite places on earth, and that is Johnny and Friends Family Retreat. Now, if you're unfamiliar with Johnny and Friends, it's an organization started by Johnny Erickson Tata over 40 years ago to serve families living with disabilities. Johnny broke her neck in a diving accident in the late 60s, became a quadriplegic, and instead of just giving up, She used her incredible giftedness to build an organization that would grow to serve hundreds of thousands of families living with disabilities all over the world. Cedar Springs is a great ministry partner with Johnny and Friends. And before I came on staff here, I was lucky enough to have served as the area director for Johnny and Friends Tennessee. 
And the flagship program at Johnny and Friends is called Family Retreat. It's a place where families living with disabilities of all kinds can come and not feel singled out or ostracized or ignored. They're welcomed. It's a place of radical acceptance. And even though I don't work at Johnny and Friends anymore, there's no way I was missing going to family retreat. This time as a volunteer. Family retreat, we worship together, we eat together, we play It's the closest thing to heaven on this side that I can think of. And it's also the place where I get to be with my friends, where I get to see my friends in their full glory. Well, their full glory for now. I get to hang out with Skylar Cofield, who suffers from brittle bone disease and is autistic as well as having cognitive and developmental impairment. I get to be with Trey Crafton, who is almost completely nonverbal and has severe autism. I get to hang out with Jordan Vanderhart, who has chromosome deletion 18P, which causes physical and developmental delays. Can you tell that our theme for the week was superheroes? (laughs) Jordan was Wolverine all week. It was awesome. (laughs) Oh, and that's me also in the picture. I know you can't tell because I have a mask on, but that was me. It was awesome. But what was different about this family retreat for me um, was that I went in knowing that I'd be preaching this section of the Apostles' Creed. I went in with this idea of the resurrection of the body resounding in my head. It's one thing to think about my body, which has always worked pretty well, all things considered. I've entered that phase of life where, you know, every time I stand up, four or five things crack or pop. And I just had to get bifocals for the first time. But still, all things considered, I'm doing pretty well. And so I went into family retreat thinking about the body, theirs, mine. Because we're closing out the the creed today with a profound statement on that very subject. What is going to happen to our bodies? And when we recite the creed together, we make a statement. We acknowledge the truth of the word of God together. And we remember that our bodies, these bodies that we're in, will die. They will die, but the power of Christ will resurrect them. Our journey through the creed began on May 28th when James started our series, and today it comes to a close. We've seen the creed, this thing that we all agree that we believe together, we've seen it cover truths about God the Father, about Jesus, about the Holy Spirit, about us. It's a summary of the truth of the Bible. It's a document that dates all the way back to the second century. And it's a thing that unites the church across continents and across denominations and across languages and across centuries. And it ends with these two lines. And when we say them, we acknowledge that we believe in the resurrection of the body and the life everlasting. And I'd like to start this passage off by telling you what we're not going to talk about today We are not going to talk about heaven. Andrew Kiesling preached that one back in May. Go back and listen to that. He did a fantastic job of telling us what we need to know about heaven. And this sermon is also not about end times or eschatology. 
We're not going to cover different theories about when Jesus is coming back. We're leaning on the truth and the firm hope that he is coming back. Rest assured, he is coming back, and that day is the day we're looking toward. Whether that means you're a premillennialist or a postmillennialist or whatever, that's the day we're looking forward to. The old preacher joke is that I'm a panmillennialist. I believe it's all going to pan out in the end. Sorry. But here are the basics as we get into what the creed means by the resurrection of the body. First, unless you are alive when Jesus returns, you're going to die. Other than Enoch and Elijah, it happens to everyone. The death rate is 100%. Life will leave your body and that body will most likely be buried or cremated. You will die. Yay for uplifting sermons, right? I bet you didn't think you were going to have to confront your own mortality when you got out of bed this morning. The good news is that if you're in Christ when you die, you will be with him in paradise. And if you die in Christ, your body will be resurrected when he returns, physically, bodily resurrected. In the first century, though, the Apostle Paul came up against some people that didn't agree with that last part. They didn't believe in a resurrection for believers. And so Paul, being Paul, did what Paul does best. He wrote them a letter. Now, the book of 1 Corinthians is more than just a letter about the resurrection, but it's a big part of it. And to put it mildly, Paul feels pretty strongly about this subject. Let's take a look. 1 Corinthians 15, 12 through 19. Now, if Christ is proclaimed as raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? But if there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, then our preaching is in vain and your faith is in vain. We are even found to be misinterpreting God because we testified about God that he raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we of all people are most to be pitied. There's a little bit of who's on first going on here, it feels like, I know. Who's been raised? Christ. But if Christ has been raised, then why do we say we won't be? If we're not raised, then Christ isn't raised. Our preaching is in vain. Faith is in vain. He raised Christ, whom he did not raise, if it is true that the dead are not raised. And if we're not raised... I don't know, third base, right? Paul's doing a lot here, but let me give you the JSV, the John Streamline version. Paul is saying that if Jesus Christ was raised from the dead, and he was, then we will be too. And to deny that we will be raised is to deny Jesus' resurrection. And further, if we aren't going to be raised, then death is the end, and our faith is meaningless. And I don't have enough time to go through this whole passage in detail. We could do an eight-week series just on it. But Paul goes on to say that because Christ has been raised, we will be too, because Christ is the first fruits of the dead. And just as in Adam we all die, in Christ we will all live. And when he comes back, the dead in Christ will rise from their graves. He will destroy every rule and power. And the last enemy to be destroyed is death. Hallelujah. Praise the Lord. But why does Christ's resurrection mean that we will have one? Two words, adoption and inheritance. In Romans 8, 
Paul emphasizes that through our adoption, we are children of God with full rights to our inheritance along with Christ. He says that we are God's children. And in verse 17, and if children, then heirs, heirs of God and fellow heirs with Christ, provided we suffer with him in order that we may also be glorified with him. Peter talks about this too. Uh, 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. Peter starts off the book with this amazing statement about our inheritance, the thing that we're due as children of God and as co-heirs with Christ. We're not going to be resurrected because it's our birthright. Our birthright gives us sin and death. We're going to be resurrected because we've been adopted and made heirs. So what is this resurrection? Theologian uh, Millard Erickson says it like this. The major result of Christ's second coming is the resurrection. This is the basis for the believer's hope in the face of death. Although death is inevitable, the believer anticipates being delivered from its power. The Bible clearly promises resurrection of the believer. Jesus will return and those that have died will rise. What exactly does that look like? Let's take a look. But before we get into the specifics, I'd like to take a quick second to talk about an issue that might be an elephant in the room. Maybe not like a huge elephant, a little elephant. When we talk about this issue of a bodily resurrection, one hot-button issue tends to come up, and that's the issue of cremation. Many of us in this room have been in the position of having to decide what to do with the remains of a loved one. Or maybe you're thinking about your own future. In my pastoral roles, I've walked with families as they've had to make hard decisions about this. Oftentimes, it comes down to a financial decision. Sometimes cremation is just cheaper. And I'm not here to tell you today how to handle those decisions. I'm not here to recommend what's best for you or your family as you consider them. But I do want to say this. When you're planning and making those decisions, I want you to remove from your mind that God cannot resurrect a cremated body. Remove it. The infinite power of our almighty God cannot be thwarted by a body that's been cremated any more than it can be thwarted by a body that's been in the ground for 2,000 years. If you've had to make a tough decision about this and you feel guilty, please understand that our God is going to resurrect that body the same way that he's going to resurrect the bodies of the apostles and of all of us in this room through his miraculous, miraculous power. Okay, elephants left the room. But that issue informs a larger theological question, which is how does a body go from dead to resurrected? Especially when we're talking about the bodies of those who have passed away a long time ago before modern techniques of embalming and all that. Jesus was only in the tomb for three days, right? But many Christians have been buried for centuries. Fortunately, Paul talks about this. Back to 1 Corinthians 15, this time 35 through 37. But someone will ask, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body do they come? You foolish person, what you sow does not come to life unless it dies. And what you sow is not the body that is to be, but a bare kernel, perhaps of wheat or some other grain. Now, Paul never minces words, does he? <laughs> Paul says here, when you ask how all of this works, you're asking the wrong question. 
The miraculous nature of this event doesn't require anything of the dead person except for them to die. That's it. They're like a seed. In the same way that a seed goes into the ground and comes up totally different, that's what resurrection is. Your body, your ashes, your molecules, whatever, are a seed. It goes into the ground and is resurrected into something different. But what? What are these glorified bodies? What do they look like? The short answer is we don't really know. The, body, the Bible gives us some clues, some hints. Once again, let's go back to 1 Corinthians 15, this time 50 through 58. I tell you this, brothers, flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment in the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. For the trumpet will sound, and the dead will be raised imperishable, and we shall be changed. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable, and this mortal body must put on immortality. When the perishable puts on the imperishable, and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, Death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, immovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that in the Lord your labor is not in vain. So first thing is, it's a mystery. Paul says it's a mystery. We're not going to understand it any more than Paul is able to clearly articulate it. It is, in some way, the transformation of the physical into the eternal but somehow without removing the physical. Paul says that the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality. Which means, thing two, that our bodies, our eternal bodies, our glorified bodies, will be physical. Look at Romans 8, 11. If the spirit of him who raised Jesus from the dead dwells in you, he who raised Jesus from the dead will also give life to your mortal bodies through his spirit who dwells in you. Jesus is our model for this. After he was resurrected, he had a physical body. Yes, it's true, he had some upgrades. There's that whole walking through walls thing, for example. But he was still Jesus in a physical body. In fact, he still bore the scars of his crucifixion. His disciples still knew him. They ate together. He had a physical body. Back to Millard Erickson. What we have then is something more than a post-death survival by the spirit or soul of the body as it was. There is a utilization of the old body, but a transformation of it in the process. Some sort of metamorphosis occurs so that a new body arises. This new body has some connection or point of identity with the old body, but is differently constituted. We don't know what they will look like. Will I still have this svelte physique? I don't know. Maybe. Will Andrew Kiesling still be bald? I hope so. <laughs> but we don't know. But I do know that we'll know each other. Somehow we'll still be ourselves, just changed. It's a mystery. But here's what I do know. What I do know is all of the things that hold us back now, all of the things that hurt, all of the things that tire, all of the things that ache, 
All of the things that limit us, they will be put away. All of the cancers, all of the disabilities, all of the things that conspire to shorten our lives will be gone. Our bodies will work the way they're supposed to, the way they worked before the fall. The effects of sin on us will be gone and the ravages of disease will be over. As a 45-year-old guy whose body works pretty well most of the time, it's hard to think about what the scope of that is. But then I think about Skylar. And I think about Trey. And I think about Jordan. And I imagine what their glorified bodies will become when they're able to put on a body that doesn't let them down, to see them run without a wheelchair or fear of breaking a bone, to talk to them, to really talk to them, to see my friends the way that God will glorify them. Here at Cedar Springs, we lose people to death and disease, and we know that they're celebrating with Jesus in paradise but our hope is in their resurrection. Our hope is that we will celebrate with them in everlasting life with our glorified bodies together. The last line in the creed speaks to that. I know we've spent the majority on our time, majority of our time on resurrection, but how do you condense everlasting life into 25 minutes? Instead of trying, what if we did this? What if we end this sermon and this whole series the way that the creed ends? The last word of the creed is one we're all familiar with. We've said it lots of times today already. It's quite simply, amen. And when we say amen communally, we do it to acknowledge the truth of something, to kind of put our stamp of approval on what was said. And so I'll close with prayer today. And at the end of the prayer, let's all say it together. Let's do what we just sang about. Let's let the amen sound from his people again. Don't worry, I'll cue you. Let's make our agreement loud, okay? Let's pray. Father God, we praise you because it is your power that will resurrect us. We praise you because of your son, the first fruit of the resurrection. We praise you because you've given us your word, your revelation that tells us about you. But mostly, God, we praise you for your love that draws us to you every moment of every day. And we're here today because we believe in the things that the creed says. The truth of who you are, who your son is, and who the Holy Spirit is are the truths that bind us together as a church body. We affirm these truths together, not only because they are true, but because they are the reason for our gathering. They're the reason for our faith, and they're the reason for our firm, eternal hope. God, we thank you and we praise you this morning for these truths. And all of Cedar Springs Presbyterian Church said, Amen. Amen.